Well, open your hearts, be ready to receive what the Lord would say to us through our pastor. You know, the air was absolutely filled and tense with a mixture of um, resignation and hope. And as I, as I sat there in this atmosphere, a place of 40,000 people, it's the ninth inning. There's two outs. We're down by like five or six runs, right? And my team is up to bat. They have two people on the bases, and Reggie Sanders comes to the plate. And, I mean, there's two outs. We're, even if he hits a home run, that's not going to tie the game up. We're going to need people after him to do things. So there's this mixture of expectation and, and wishful hopefulness and resignation of it's just not going to happen. But as people do in the St. Louis Cardinal Stadium, they stand up for that final out, for the final at bat. And uh, we're standing there silently, mostly because of this resignation and hopelessness that's in the crowd. And he takes the first pitch and then he maybe fouls one off. And so the count's not in, not in his favor anymore. And I suddenly jump up on the seat, throw my fist in the air, and I go, Reggie! Reggie! And the whole place goes crazy. Everyone following this example and yelling, Reggie! I mean, the whole place is yelling, Reggie! Reggie! You know, what you do affects the person beside you. Affects the person across the room. Affects the person that's watching that you don't even know they're watching. And the voice that you have, the voice that God has given you, the voice that you've been given to shout praise to the Lord, to declare God's righteousness in the earth, the voice that you've been given to absolutely speak life into situations, people are watching and listening and they're just waiting for somebody to give them permission to do the same thing. You know, we're surrounded by a lot more than 40,000 people. And, and whether, whether you have an audience of, of, of one or, or just you yourself, sometimes you yourself is the one that needs to hear you yourself speak and praise and, and worship and, and bring change to the atmosphere. This morning, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 18. Are your words important? This was the question we had asked several, several weeks ago as we began this series on the power of our words. And are your words important? Are they words that, is anyone listening to what I'm saying? You know, are, are my words important? And we've been answering that question and we, we looked into Proverbs 18, verse. let's begin in verse 21. It says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it. Someone say, I love it. I love it. Life and death are in the power of your tongue. And you say, well, I don't know if it is in mine. Oh, it is. The question is, is how are you using it? About an inch and a quarter below your nose is something that can give life or death. And how you use that. We're going to stand before the Father and, and say, man, what did you do with this tool of life and death that I've given to you? How did you use it? And so we're going to have to answer for that. We'll look at that a little bit 
further this morning. But I want to just mention what we've been saying the last several weeks is this is not poetry. Proverbs is not poetry. In fact, Jesus at one point stood up and said, hey guys, everything in Psalms and Proverbs needs to be fulfilled. I'm sure glad He said that. Because now we cannot look at Proverbs and say, well, it's just nice rhymes and writings. And... But it's actually something that must be fulfilled. Life and death. Someone say, life and death, life and death. Are, in my mouth. are in my mouth. And I love it. Let's go over to uh, chapter 16. So if we're wise, we're going to do something in particular with our mouth. Chapter 16 and verse 23 says, A wise heart instructs its mouth. A wise heart instructs its mouth. And increases learning with its speech. So are you a wise heart? Are you instructing your mouth or do you just go off? Triggered and out of your mouth. Sometimes, you know, we say things out of our mouth that are just ridiculous because either we don't believe it or in the moment, we're not thinking about what we're saying. I remember when my wife and I got a hold of this principle, we started, we, we we heard of a habit that uh, Pastor Dale and Terry had had, and we thought, well, this is a good idea, and this is how to break us from talking like we shouldn't talk. And so we decided we would try it on for size, and it worked wonderfully. And when we would hear the other one say something that, well, let me just ask this question what if everything you said was true? You know, we waited forever, and suddenly, wham, you find yourself back in that line for forever. Right? What if just everything you said was suddenly true? And uh, so what we started doing to each other is one of us would say something, uh, probably mostly me, would say something that we obviously would not want to be true. And then uh, the other party would say, I believe every word of that confession shall come to pass in the name of Jesus. Amen. And immediately we'd be back and out of that. Oh, no, 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 not that. Um, Instead, and then we'd speak life. And in this way, we trained ourselves to be conscious of the words that we're speaking. But you know, knowing about something, and I know that most of you here this morning know about the power of your words. You've been taught it. You've sat in teachings and you've listened to it. However, knowing about something and not doing it, in James it tells us that is self-deceived. It's hearing the Word, but not being a doer of the Word. And how many know that it's only the doer of the Word that gets results? It's not the listener to messages. It's not the Bible reader. It's not the one that goes to so many church services or the Bible school goer. None of those people. It says it's the doer of the Word. Don't allow your study time to exempt you from being a doer. Right? Alright. Let's go to uh, Romans 8. Romans chapter 8 and verses 9 and 10. Very well known Scripture. And we're just going to move real quickly through this because this is still in review. In verse 9 it says, If you confess with your mouth 
Notice it doesn't say if you think with your head. But if you confess with your mouth. This is the importance of what you say. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart, one believes resulting in rightness or righteousness. And with the mouth, one confesses resulting in salvation. The importance of the words coming out of your face will actually result in either being saved or not saved. And so, we're not, we're not word police here. right? That's the Holy Spirit's job is to arrest you when you're saying the wrong thing. Now, as a teacher, I'll bring up things and I'll talk about things of, in our words that might step on your toes. However, instead of, instead of going, oh, well, that's not... No, actually examine the word. Does it mean what it says or doesn't it? But if I'm standing next to you and I hear you say something that I preached about, I'm not going to be like, hey, 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 watch your mouth. I'm not the Holy Ghost. Hey, I presented truth to you and just because you don't practice it, you're going to have to answer for that. I'm not. But I'm not going to have to answer for why I didn't tell you the truth. Right? In fact, let's just start off and have some fun here. I'm just going to trample on toes. We think our words are sometimes just you know, so meaningless and we say things because it's Christianese or our culture says them. But how about people that are constantly saying, oh my God. I mean, I hear it in this house all the time. Oh my God. Oh my God. So I have a question for you. Who is a person on this earth that you just immensely respect? Think of that person. Why don't you say their name all the time as an exclamation? Why? I mean, some person, you know, oh, Billy Graham. <laughs> Billy Graham, that was awesome. I was like, Billy Graham? Wow, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> or maybe it's your mom or dad, you know? Oh, mom, that was awesome. Why don't we talk that way? Well, because we love that person. Because we respect that person. And using their name lightly and trivially like that is not a good thing. Else everyone would be doing that. But yet, the Creator of the universe, the One that made us one with Him, the One that has given us all of heaven and, and given us an escape route from hell, yet we say that. Come on. We can do better. We can speak of Him respectfully. You know, in the, in the Ten Commandments, it tells us not to use the name of the Lord in vain. And I don't believe that's only talking about someone cursing in the name of the Lord. I believe it's talking about using His name when we're not addressing Him. Or talking about Him. You know, if I say, can you believe how amazing my God is? Well, I'm talking about Him. Or if I say, oh, thank you God, I'm talking to Him, right? But if I say, oh my God, that was crazy. I'm just now using it as an adjective and an exclamation of surprise or something. 
So examine your heart. And if, if your toes are sore and bleeding right now, did you know that repentance brings healing? <laughs> repentance brings healing. The fastest way out of sore toes, just repent from it. And, and get. How do you repent from it? Change. Just don't do it anymore. Say, Lord, you know, I didn't see that before. I see it now. I repent. I'm not doing that anymore. Your name is like extremely valuable to me. You don't have to go to anyone. You don't have to stand up in church and say, I'm such a dirty dog sinner. I mean, some of us were raised that way, right? That's how I was raised. You had to stand up and tell everybody how terrible you were so that it would stick. Here we read that your words are so important in Romans 10 that with your mouth is how it's determined if you're saved or not. Now you've got to believe it. And believing it results in right action. Okay, But it's with your mouth that it's given life to. It was with God's mouth that He created the world. He didn't just think it. He said it. And He created us in His image and to be like Him. And if we... Well, 1 John 4.15, you don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Whoever confesses that Jesus... The word confesses is what I want you to catch. That Jesus is the Son of God. God abides in Him and He in God. So your words determine whether or not the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. And contrary to the way some of us have been raised, it's not so easy to become unsaved as some of us have, were raised, right? I, I've explained this to you before, but I grew up thinking that, man, when I mess up, I'm off the heaven-bound train and on the hell-bound train. And until that's dealt with, I'm on the way to hell. As soon as that's dealt with, wham! I change trains and I'm back on the way to heaven again. And there's just this constant back and forth in this loop, and hopefully I'm on the right train when my day comes and I die. That was kind of the concept that we were raised with. And we know that the Lord is merciful. And He is patient. And He works with us. And He remembers our frailty and our weakness. And in 1 John 5, it talks about a sin that's unto death and one that's not unto death. What does that mean? The sin that's unto death is the one you refuse to repent from. So you could you could forfeit your salvation by simply refusing to come back into alignment with the Father. And He keeps coming to you. And He comes to you by His Spirit. And if you continually ignore Him, He might even send a person to you and say, hey, what about this? And He's going to continually bring it, but you can harden yourself and steel yourself against the Lord to where you become unreachable and it can create such a division between you and Him that you would actually say, you know what, I no longer need that. And in that way, forfeit your salvation. Yet, we also know that in 1 John, it talks about a sin that's not unto death. And that if you see your brother sin a sin that's not unto death, that you should pray that the Lord would give him life. That the Lord would give him revelation. Light. Right? And that person will deal with it. So, why do I say all of that? Because I don't want you to get into condemnation over your mouth. Oh man, I've been saying these wrong things. No, there's the way out of that is to change what you're saying. Not to beat yourself up and, and disqualify yourself now with your mouth. 
Because I said all the wrong things, this no longer applies to me. See what I'm saying? It can build on itself. So we don't want to uh, disqualify ourselves by doing that. You know, um, go with me to Matthew chapter 12. In Mark 11, Mark 11, you don't need to turn there, I'm just going to talk about it. We have that where Jesus cursed the fig tree and then He said to the disciples, and he, Jesus' own teachings bring out the importance of our words, right? And He says, if you say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and don't doubt in your heart what you say, but believe that what you say will happen, you will have what, you're going to, what you say. Just bringing out the importance of what you say. That you can speak a thing, you can declare a thing, you can decree a thing, and believe, and the Lord will help you with it. And so, you can also say a bunch of rubbish and it not come true. And we'll probably look at some examples of that as well. So Matthew chapter 12 Let's look down into verse 33. Still answering the question, is it important what we say? Jesus says here, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. The brood of vipers? It's like, wow. <laughs> you bunch of snakes. How can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good man produces good things from the storeroom of his heart, and an evil man produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. The heart is where it's coming from. He says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, you will have an, you will I'm sorry, I read that wrong. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every idle word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So it's out of the heart that we speak. Now, is it possible to have a bad heart but speak good words? Yeah, but they're idle words. Because see, they're not coming from a place of faith. They're not coming from a place of belief. In fact, uh, two weeks ago we talked about are you a parrot or are you a believer? Because a parrot, you can teach them to say anything. But they're not saying it with faith. They're not saying it in belief. Polly wants a cracker. Polly wants a cracker. Or bad dog or whatever, you know. And so are you just parroting something? Are you just parroting Scripture over your life? Or are you speaking it with conviction and belief? Are you speaking it in faith? And here he goes on and says, he says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, you know, this right here was not designed to make people scared. He's giving them how to set yourselves up well for the day of judgment. Because... He's not talking about salvation judgment. You know, there is a works judgment coming. Salvation judgment is whether or not you believed on Jesus. And that's it. After that comes a judgment of works. 
And so here he's saying, man, I tell you, on the day of judgment, did you know there is a day of judgment? And contrary to maybe what you've been told, there is a day of judgment. Jesus said so, and he's not a liar. He says, and, and you know, in 1 John it tells us that we can face that day completely free of fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And so, the reason, how do we get rid of fear? Well, by being in love with Him and doing what He says. You cannot, well, listen to me, it's not your, you're not going to stand before the Father justified by your own actions. You are justified only by what Jesus has done for you. Only by what Jesus has done for you. Now, how your reward is going to look, now we're talking works. How the reward looks. That's all works-based. You can find that all through Scripture. But salvation is not works-based. Well, it is, but Jesus works. The price Jesus paid, not your work. So here, well, let's read this again. Verse 36. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every idle or every careless word they speak. This word means inoperative. Every inactive word. Because see, as believers, we often think, well, I didn't speak death, so it's okay. We know better than speaking death over each other and ourselves and situations. and We'll often catch ourselves. But then... We justify ourselves often because, well, I didn't mean it. Well, that would be an idle, useless, non-active word, right? And so even for those, we're going to have to account for them. Let's say it a different way. A non-faith-filled word... Whoa, that's getting really broad, isn't it? A non-faith-filled word is an idle word. It's a word that's just idle. Think of a vehicle in the parking lot just idling. It's not going anywhere. It says, For by your words you will be justified, found righteous, or by your words you will be condemned. And we can look at examples of this in Scripture. Let's quickly do so. Luke chapter 19. By your words, you're delivered or held captive. <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm ahead of myself. Let's go to Malachi. Malachi. This is a chapter that's often used for... Um, Offerings and tithes in particular and what the Lord thinks about tithes and all these things. What I want you to do is not so much look and listen for the finance side of it. I want you to listen to something else here. Malachi chapter 2 and let's begin in verse 17. The Lord is speaking here. He says, you have wearied the Lord. Or you, yeah, the prophet is speaking the words of the Lord to them. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Did you know the Lord is listening? Because you have wearied the Lord with your words. Now, the Lord's tired of hearing your words. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you ask, how have we wearied Him? What? They're saying, 
It says, when you say everyone who does evil is good in the Lord's sight and He is pleased with them, or where is the God of justice? How is this right? How is this fair? How is this just? You've wearied the Lord by talking this way. Calling evil good and good evil and all of these things. If you'll jump down to, let's go to uh, chapter 3, verse 6. <clears throat> it says He makes this statement, For I, Yahweh, do not change, therefore you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. This is covenant language. Because of the covenant, because I don't change, this is why you're not destroyed. And when he said, I don't change, he's still that way today. Amen. Hasn't changed from back then. Our approach to Him has changed. He has not changed. So let's look in verse 7. Since the days of your father, you have turned from my statues. You have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask. Here's more words they say. How can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You ask, how do we rob you? In not making the payments of 10% in the contributions. That's tithes and offering. Because you are suffering under a curse. Yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full 10% into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your ground and your vine in your field will not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed and you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now keep listening. Your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? See, the Lord's listening. Verse 14, you have said, it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping His requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of hosts? What good does it do for us to serve the Lord? I mean, look at all these people. The wicked are blessed, and yet here we are, being righteous, serving the Lord, and we're in poverty. Look at all these wicked people. They don't have that disease. How come we serve the Lord and we're dealing with this disease? Verse 15, so, so now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. Verse 16, at that time, those who feared the Lord spoke. Everyone say spoke. Spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before Him for those who feared Yahweh and had high regard for His name. They will be Mine, says the Lord of hosts, a special possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves Him. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. For indeed the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of hosts, not leaving them root or branches. But for you who fear My name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. 
So here we see the Lord is listening. And what we say matters a whole lot. Let's go now to Luke, Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, as, uh, verse 11. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. He called ten of his slaves, gave them ten minas, and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. At his return, having received the kingdom, he summoned those slaves he had given the money to so he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Now, in this particular story, he called ten people. And each one he gave one mina. Okay, ten people, each one had one mino, one talent, whatever, the, whatever, however your translation calls it. And now this one comes back and says, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. says, well done, good slave, he told them, because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten cities. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, you will be over five cities. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it hidden away in a cloth because I was afraid of you for you are a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. So he told him, I will judge you by what you have said, you evil slave. So he is being judged how? By what he said. If you knew I was a tough man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. So I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. He was judged according to what he said. But did you know that if you treat your mouth and you use what God has given you for His glory and for His purpose to bring life, light to situations with your mouth, the Lord's going to make sure your words are not falling to the ground. He will give you more authority. He will give you more influence with your mouth as you use it according to what He's given you. But if we ignore it, that's why some of us just have useless words. Because we've not been using it and even what we have gets taken away and we stand there going, why is it not working? Because we treat words that we say as insignificant. I know that's more bloody toes, but hey, mine are getting healed too, so just join me in it. Right? 
in Numbers. Let's go over there quickly. Numbers chapter 13. Now, this is the children of Israel. They have just come up against Canaan land. You know the story of how they came out of Egypt. And the Lord had promised. He had given them His promise again and again. I am taking you to the promised land. The land of Canaan. The land that flows with milk and honey. So they are now at the borders of this land. And Moses sends out spies to scout the land. And to see what is there. And so um, they went up and they looked all through the land. And... Verse 23, we'll begin with in chapter 13. When they came to the valley of Eshcol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes which was carried on a pole by two men. They also took some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut there. And at the end of the 40 days, they returned from scouting out the land. I mean, we are talking about a blessed land. Right? One cluster of grapes is this big that it takes two men to carry it. Verse 26, the men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran of Kadesh, and they brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. So they're telling them, see, it's a good land. They reported to Moses, we went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here is some of its fruit. However, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. What do they need to do? They need to just start closing their mouth, right? Don't say what they're going to say next and instead say the right things because they believe it. But remember, they're just speaking out of their heart what they believe. It says, however, the people living in the land are strong. The cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living there in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb, see he's the wise one in the bunch. He instructs his mouth. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, we must go up and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. What do you think Caleb is looking at that gives him the right to say this? Is he looking at their own strength? At their own armies? They're not even a trained army. They're just a bunch of slaves that might be holding a spear or a sword or a staff. Recent slaves. So he can't be looking at that. Going up against armies that are trained. He has to be looking at something else. See, the problem is that so many people speak what they're seeing. No, 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 no. That's not the problem. Everybody speaks what they're seeing. And it's only a problem if you're seeing the wrong thing. Because you say what you see. This is why it's very important that we instruct our heart. That what we're putting into our heart. That we tell our heart what to look at. You know, Jesus said to the people standing around Him once, He said, man, if if your eye is bad, how great is the darkness in you? Let's put that in today's language. If all you're seeing is the bad, 
you're up the creek without a paddle and going the wrong direction. So we have to instruct our eye what to see. That's what determines what is your eye good or bad. Are you seeing the problem or are you seeing the solution? Are you seeing the giants or are you seeing my promise, my answer? From where does my help come from, David says. And he looks around at the top of the mountains and realizes there's no army showing up to help me. Not from up there. He says, my help comes from the Lord. And so, here, they're looking at the problem. You know, if my dog Rover runs away, let's use my actual dog, Sheba. We have a dog named Sheba. And um, if Sheba were to run away, And I'd go outside and be like, where'd Sheba go? Sheba's not here. Sheba's gone. I mean, what are we going to do? Sheba's not here. I won't ever be able to see my dog again. Sheba's not here. This is the problem. Sheba's not here. What are we going to do without Sheba? See, all I'm doing is just stating what... I'm seeing in the natural. But if I get a different picture on the inside, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Let's say it another way. What you're seeing on the inside, with your inside eyes, so are you. So if I picture on the inside Sheba back in front of me, sitting and making me all slobbery and paw printed probably, because she's not real well-mannered at this point. But if I'm seeing this, What am I going to do? I'm going to lift up my voice and say, Sheba! Here girl! Come! And I'm going to begin to call forth the thing which I want to happen. And I'm instead of stating the problem over and over, which is never going to bring her to me, I'm going to call her to me. You know, on this recent trip last week that I took, I was on a plane in LAX and I got off the plane and I left this, um, because of a, a series of things that happened just back to back, I left this notepad, my preaching tablet, on the plane in my seat beside me. And didn't realize it until I was on the next plane. And I sat down and I went to pull it out and it wasn't there and I knew exactly where it was on the last plane in my seat. So I immediately asked the uh, stewardess, you know, what... What should I do? That's why I know where it is. And she said, go online and, and file a you know, missing whatever report. And so I did that. And I, I knew that I did not have time because um, in LAX there is some, I don't know, probably half mile hallways that connect the two terminals that I had gone from one to the other. And my plane was ready to go. And so I knew I didn't have time to run back. And, um, and not only that, I'd spent like an hour and a half you know, in the terminal. And so the other plane's probably gone already. So I filled out the report and then I did something else. I opened my mouth just like it was a little puppy that ran away and said, Tablet, you come back to me. I call you back into my possession and into my hands. And you know, when I got home from my trip last Wednesday, I got out of the car, I walked up to the door and there was a FedEx box leaning against the door with my tablet in it. Came back to me. 
You know, they found it. Yeah, I filled out the things and things. But you know how many times people fill out things and don't see it again? Someone else picked it up or whatever. It came back. I called it back. Instead of saying again and again, man, my tablet's gone. I don't know what, how was I so stupid? And I'm just stupid. And began to speak death over myself. The Lord got on my case just this morning about something. I've been saying something a lot oftener recently than what I'm going to be in the future. (laughs) I've said frequently lately, I can't hear you. I didn't hear what you said. Instead of saying, I didn't hear what you said, I can't hear you. What I'm trying to say is, speak up is what I'm implying, but I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Just this morning, I said that to one of my daughters. I said, I can't hear you. And the Lord said to me, He said, why don't you say, I didn't hear you? Like, yeah, that's true. Because I'm kind of just creating with my mouth a continued future of not being able to hear you. And you say, well, wait a minute. Isn't that just being like religious with your words? I'm justified by my words is what Jesus said. So I can hear perfectly. I have good hearing. And if I didn't hear you, then I'll just say, I didn't hear you. That's just stating what happened, not planning a future by saying, I can't hear you. Right? Now, how do we be doers of the Word? When, that, when the Holy Spirit comes and prompts us on something like that, man, we're just quick to change right there. Well, I don't talk that way anymore. Right? All right, so here in Numbers, they're looking at the problem. They're saying the problem. And I went away from Numbers. So verse 31, But the man who had gone up with him responded, we can't go up against the people because they are stronger than we are. That's like saying the dog isn't here. That's just stating what's so in the natural. So they gave a negative or slanderous report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants and all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. You know, those were the giants. The offspring of of Anak were descended from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers and we must have seemed the same to them. Then the whole community broke into loud cries. See, what happens after you begin to look at the problem long enough? You begin to feel sorry for yourself. And I will guarantee you that is how you do not receive from the Lord and do not receive divine help is feel sorry for yourself. Here's how you do it. If you ever want to put yourself out of God's reach, just sit there and talk about the problem and feel sorry for yourself and you can have that party as long as you'd like. Because there's no help coming. They wept, man. They got loud cries that night. Did you know the Lord is not moved by your self-pity and your tears? Come on, He's not moved by need. He's not even moved by people starving. 
That's genuine need, isn't it? Little children starving somewhere else on the planet. Say, come on. No, I didn't say God doesn't care. I said He's not moved by it. He's not brought into action because of it. Do you know what brings Him into action? Faith. Faith is what moves God. It's by faith. Somebody prayed. It might have been you praying for those starving children in XYZ country and expecting the Lord to do something about it that caused Him to do something about it. It is only by faith. Search it out. You don't have to take my word for it. Go, go search in the Scriptures on faith and look for it. They said, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and little children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron, they see the writing on the wall. Man, they go, this is a bad day. We need to do something quick. Then Moses and Aaron fell down on their faces to the ground in front of the whole assembly of the Israelite community. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will bring us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people in the land. For we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. While the whole community threatened to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tent of meeting. Self-pity wants company. And don't you dare bring the solution to the problem to someone who's feeling sorry for themselves. Man, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me despite all the signs I performed for them? And he is irritated. Verse 26, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, How long must I endure this evil community that keeps complaining about me? I have heard the Israelites' complaints that they make against me. Tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you exactly as I heard you say. What has the Lord heard you say? It says, Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, all of you who were registered in the census, the entire number of you 20 years old or more, because you have complained about Me. I swear that none of you will enter the land I promised to settle you in except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. The people that kept their mouth right. And you could go on and continue to read, and that's exactly what happened. He judged them according to their words. He also judged Joshua and Caleb according to their words. And Joshua and Caleb said, man, they're bread for us. They're toast. <laughs> and if you remember the story, Caleb was 40 years old at the time. 40 years later, after they now had permission to go in, what happened? 80-year-old man, he said, I'm still like 40 years old. He took the mountain where the giants lived and he whooped them. And they were toast. And occupied it. 
Is an 80-year-old man able to take on giants? Okay, how about a 40-year-old man? Well, not in the natural, but with God, right? But with the Lord, anything is possible. I'm going to give you an example of um, our words working to the positive for us. I mean, we're just entering this subject of idle words, death words, and life words, and we're going to look at it more. Um, But let's go over to Mark chapter 5. And we're going to close here. The Lord is listening to what you say. And if you pray and you ask Him for one thing, then you immediately turn around and say something different. Say what you believe in your heart. Understand that you can experience doubts in your head, but they don't have to be in your heart. A thought that enters your head is not coming from you. It's coming from the one that would like you to doubt. And our problem has been most times we take ownership of those thoughts. Huh, that comes from me. I must be full of doubt. Well, here's an encouraging thing for you. Again and again, people came. Well, Remember the man who said to Jesus, help my unbelief? And Jesus healed He didn't say, well, once you get rid of that. Um, Okay, Mark chapter 5. Let me tell you a story first. I was dealing with intense pain day after day after day. I couldn't eat. I was losing weight. I had this visible from the outside bulge up here in my stomach. You could touch it. It was tender. And um, if I didn't eat for long enough, I'd be like, okay, I think I can eat. And I'd take a little bit of food and it'd just ball up again. And and so, you know, what is that? Let's Google that. (laughs) Mistake. You've got three days to live and maybe not that long. (laughs) That's what Google would have you believe, you know, all kinds of horrible reports and things. And I'm like, I mean, I don't know. I got indigestion. Something's wrong. Give it a day or two or three or a week and two weeks. And it reaches a point I need to do something. And I knew that the Word says in, James, in, in, in the book of James, chapter 5, to call on the elders. In fact, hold your finger here and we're going to go over to James. And we're going to read this. This is what gave me the right to pray this way. In James 5, it says... Uh, Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person. And just promise right there. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Those of you whose toes are bleeding this morning, there you go. The intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful or makes great power available. And it talks about how Elijah was a man just like us and yet he prayed and man, he controlled the weather for several years by his prayer. 
Well, I knew that Scripture, and so I said, I'm going to call Pastor Dale, and I'm going to ask him if he would anoint me with oil and pray for me. And we were going to, it was on a Wednesday, and we were having a Bible study downstairs in the cafe. In the cafe. And so uh, I called up, uh, I called Pastor Dale, and I said, because we lived right next to them, I said, could I ride with you to church? So he stops in, picks me up, and on the way to church, I asked him and Terry, I said, would you guys lay hands on me and anoint me with oil? I just explained real briefly what I was dealing with, and he's like, yeah, of course. For me, I knew, see, I'd already been standing in faith, and for weeks I'd been using my words, and I'm the healed of the Lord, and all this stuff, and it only got worse, not better. But my words are working for me. You say, well, why was it getting worse? I don't know. Sometimes things just take a bit to come around. But my words are working for me. And I knew that in James it gives this promise, so this was my point of contact. It is at the laying on of His hands. It is at the anointing of oil. It is at that prayer where I will receive my healing. And from that moment on, I don't care what happens in the future, I believe that I'm healed and I'm going to behave healed. And so uh, we went and um, we had the Bible study and had a great Bible study. I don't remember what it was on, but I can tell you exactly the chair I was sitting in. I remember Larry and Karen were there. And, um, I, uh, and, and Pastor Dale, when it was done, said that we're going to anoint him with oil and we're going to pray. They gathered around and he laid hands on me and he prayed and immediately the pain stopped. I mean, it was like someone flipped a switch. Boom. Didn't have the bubble anymore. Felt like I had this massive basketball of air in my stomach that always needed burped out, right? And it was just gone. Wasn't even sore, you know. I went home and ate the biggest bowl of chili. I put on all kinds of cayenne red pepper because I like that kind of thing. And man, I mean, not a symptom. Just gone, healed. Received it. My point of contact. Here in Mark chapter 5, in verse 21... When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around Him while He was by the sea. And one of the synagogue leaders came, uh, named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at His feet and kept begging Him, My little daughter is at death's door. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. He had a point of contact, and that is when those hands land on the little daughter, she's going to be well. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against Him. And a certain woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. Man, I mean, exhausted her natural resources. On the contrary, she became worse. Huh. I'm familiar with that. Having heard about Jesus, she came behind Him in the crowd and touched His robe, for she said, if I can just touch His robes, I'll be made well. This is what she said. If I can touch His robe, if I can get to Jesus, I'm going to be made well. If I can reach Jesus, I'm going to be made well. If one of our ushers could bring me a bottle of oil, we're going to have an anointing here in just a moment. If the point of contact was if I can reach Jesus and if I can touch Him, I'm going to be made well. This is what she said. And let's see what happens. Verse 29. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction. Thank you. John, come. 
At once, Jesus realized in Himself that power had gone out from Him. And He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my robes? His disciples said, You see the crowd pressing against you and you say, Who touched me? Like everyone's touching you. So he was looking around to see who had done this and then the woman knowing what had happened to her came with fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. And her faith, she had said it, she took action to it, she went to the point of contact and she received what she said she was going to receive. There's more to the story. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? But when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, Don't be afraid. Only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but asleep. They started laughing at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, I don't know how to pronounce these couple words in a different language. It's translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. They were just (laughs) utterly (laughs) astounded. (laughs) It's like, what happened? (laughs) She came back to life. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and said that she should be given something to eat. Of course, they went out and told everyone. And his fame grew. But you know, the point of contact that Jarius had originally said, come lay your hands on her so she's going to get well. In Mark chapter 16, it says, the believers, those who believe on my name, they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. These were some of the final words of Jesus before he ascended to the Father. Now, I'm fully persuaded that His power and His Word has not diminished, ebbed away, subsided, or or disappeared. But it's just as effective today as it was when He said it. And according to James 5, John asked me a number of weeks ago, he said, I've received a diagnosis from the doctors and I want you to, to anoint me and to pray over me according to Scripture. And I said, absolutely, I'd love to. You know, sometimes I smell just as bad as you all. Don't look at me like that. Say, most of the time. Right? I'm just like you. And you know, I completely forgot. John wanted me to pray for him. So one day, we're talking again. I called him for a different reason. and John's like Jesus a whole lot. And he just patiently says, hey, I'd like some time for you to pray for me then sometime. And I was like, oh man, 
John, I'm so sorry. He's like, you know, the devil tried to take space in my head over that. He said, but I wouldn't let him. I'm not having none of that. Just like the enemy. See, he wants to plant that. Well, man, I must not be very important to pastor. Right? He must not care. I told him. I did my part. Now he's not doing his part. And so I had to repent to John and say, man, please forgive me. He said, oh, it's okay. Just can we pray sometime when, you, when, when it's good time? And today is a good time. This is the next service we're together after that conversation, you understand. <laughs> so if you would, stretch out your hands to him. Karen, come. Jen, come. Yeah, you may need some of these. Father, we just, in obedience to your word, we anoint John with oil. And we say, be healed in Jesus' name. Every sickness, every disease, every curse. You don't have rights in this body. And I command you to leave entirely. And Father, according to the authority that you have given us, John, you're healed. In Jesus' name. Whole and complete. No part left out. Whole. Healed. And you know, the Word says that if, we, if there's any sin, just bring it to the Father. So let the Lord deal with you on that. If He brings anything to you, just put it to Him. You want to be anointed. Alright. Father, I anoint Larry in the name of Jesus. Strength, return. Balance, return. Be healed in Jesus' name. Larry, you're healed. You're whole. You're free of symptomatic problems. Full of strength in Jesus' name. Every disease, every disease, you leave. You don't have place here. You don't have rights here. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and I thank you, Father. I thank you for what you've made available. Be healed. Father, we thank you that you have given us precious promises, that you watch over your word to perform it. Yeah, I maybe do. <laughs> Now, if you're here this morning and, and you need healing in your body, I'm going to encourage you to take these actions. Your faith, your words will work for you. But don't discount what, what the Word tells us. You know, go to your elders. Ask them to pray for you. Some people, they want to go, they, they end up in the hospital and then they wonder, why did the pastor never come and pray for me? But they never asked. 
Come on, the responsibility is on you and me to ask the Father for things. To, re- to request and require things. So let's take personal responsibility and begin to request and require things of the Lord. And as the pastor in your life in this house, man, put God, put God, take Him at His word and say, you said, if I ask, if I ask Him to pray and anoint me that I would receive. And then just have it no other way. Make that your point of contact and receive. Alright, you can, you can stand. We need to quickly take ourselves. Um, let's pray and close. Father, I thank You for the ability to speak life and that You've given us Your Word to speak. And Lord, I ask You to arrest each one of us when we speak death or idle words. Words... But we need to clean up our, our mouth and cause our lips to speak what You want us to speak, Father. Um, arrest us when we speak the wrong thing. Give us the right thing to speak and we'll submit to You in doing so. In Jesus' name and Amen. And one way we love God is by loving on one another. So um, speak life this morning. Love one another. And let's move downstairs very quickly and make way for uh, our Ethiopian brothers and sisters. Oh, as you go, those of you who arrived early to the service received a coupon for a free t-shirt downstairs in the basement. Could could you shut that down? Um, You received a coupon for a free t-shirt. If you did not come early and did not get one, here's how to get one. Come early next week and ask for one. And they'll get one to you. Require one, yes. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So glad that you're all here today. Family, you're looking beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And blessed. You feel it? The blessing of the Lord? Amen. I'd like to encourage, did I hear a yes? Did I hear a big yes? Yes. Yes. Glory to God. You're the most blessed people on the face of the earth. And that is the truth. Amen. Do you believe it? I do too. I'd love to uh, encourage you, not that you need it, in worship this morning. You know, worship is always a privilege and an honor. And the Father said he's looking. Isn't that amazing? He's looking. It's like he's looking on the earth for those who will worship him. Isn't that amazing? Don't you want to be found by the Father? You know, you just come into that agreement of that word. I'm looking for worshipers who will worship me in spirit and truth. Hallelujah. Well, we already know how to worship him in spirit, don't we? We already know that, right? Amen. And truth is the infallible word on the earth today. This is his signature will and testimony of the Father right here. The Father said, you know, one way we love God is obeying his commandment. Did you know that? You want to you want to love Father and and do and please him just obey him isn't that so simple you know you who are parents out there 
Uh, don't you love it when you tell your kids something to do and they do it? Isn't that the greatest thing ever? That you don't have to keep telling them and telling them and telling them and, you know, they just do it. It's like, what can I bless them with? They're obedient. First time obedience. Wow, it's just amazing. Well, we get to worship the Father this morning. Yeah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. It's a privilege. It's not that you have to, you get to. That's right. You get to. So in Psalms 33 and 34, it says, Rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah. You get to rejoice in the Lord. Oh, you righteous. See, you're the righteous ones on the earth today. For praise is comely. That means it's becoming. It's appropriate. You know, as a child of God, it's appropriate to praise the Lord. And you get to praise him anytime you want, all day long. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing to me. This privilege and honor. Praise the Lord with a harp, with a psaltery, with a ten-string instrument. <laughs> Six is good for you, John. You make it sound like ten. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. See, it's in the Bible. I'm telling you, it's in the Bible. A loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. There it is. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, all you saints, for there is no want for them that fear and reverence him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord, they'll not want one good thing. Isn't that amazing? So fearing and reverencing and worshiping and praising the Lord, you're not going to lack anything. That's a promise from your father. So we get to, let's all stand up together this morning as a family, the family of God in this place. So glad you're here, family. We get to worship him together. Amen. Glory to God. Jesus, you're alive. You're alive in me. Hallelujah. You're alive in me. Jesus, because of you, we are saved, we are redeemed, we're delivered, we are healed, we are prospering, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, glory to God. So much you have given us, so much through your death, your burial, your resurrection, your ascension into heaven. All those obedience, all that obedience to your Father produced such a fruit on the earth today. And we're part of that fruit. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit. We are a grateful, grateful people in this church. Grateful for all the gifts that you have given us that are so available unto us. And we're going to be doers of that, Father. We're going we're gonna to be obedient children to all your commandments. Then we show you that we love you. We love you, Father. 
we love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. You don't have to look any further than this place. All of us here, standing here before you, are grateful, grateful kids of the Most High God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and just say, Father, thank you. Thank you so much for Jesus. Jesus, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. We're so grateful. Thank you. Hallelujah. Wow. Wow. Thank you, praise and worship team, helping us enter into that beautiful place, worshiping the Father. Well, one way we love God here is by loving one another. So turn to your neighbor and say, aren't you glad you're here today? Hallelujah. The children can be dismissed at this time as well. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a wonderful morning, is it not? <laughs> you know, on the way to church this morning, my four-year-old prayed in the car, and she said, thank you, Lord, for a wonderful morning. Now, the thing is, if you would have observed 10 minutes earlier, maybe 15, you would not have guessed it was a wonderful morning. <laughs> You get to choose a wonderful morning. Perspective shift. It's a choice. So if you didn't walk in here thinking it's a wonderful morning, let's declare it's a wonderful morning. Good things are here today. Do we have anyone that's here for the very first time? We would like to welcome you. If this is your first time to Church of the Word International, well, we're all family here. So... Praise the Lord. If you need a cash envelope for your giving, uh, raise your hands. The ushers will see that you get one. If you're giving by credit card, do fill out the blanks, all the blanks. We're going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24. And we're going to be reading the last portion of that chapter. You know, we talk a lot about the importance of giving our offerings with the right heart. And if we give out of a heart of love, in faith, you know, love for God, love for his people, love for his things in faith, we know that that's what pleases him. Um, But, you know, sometimes you hear people say, maybe you've heard somebody say this, you know, God doesn't really need your money. He doesn't really want your money. It's not about that. It's all about the heart. 
And that's, that's partially true. Yes, it is true. But see, when your heart is right, there's corresponding action. Say, oh, yeah, but God knows my heart. You know, he knows I want to give. And when my ship comes in, then I'll be a giver. You can be a giver at any level. It's not about the size. It's not about the amount. It's about your heart. So, I mean, and James tells us this, too. What does James say? You know, faith without actions is dead. So you've got to have action to your word. So we're going to read um, 2 Samuel 24. So, um, starting in verse 18, just giving a little bit of backstory here. David, King David, had disobeyed a command of the Lord. He had done something wrong, and it brought calamity on the people. And he repented for this. He repented before the Lord. And um, now, verse 18. And Gad, Gad was the seer, or the prophet in that day to David, came that day to David and said to him, Go up. Raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. So the Spirit of the Lord is speaking through the prophet. Because David had the prior verse, if you read verse 17, uh, David, he's repenting. He's telling the Lord, I'm sorry, and, you know, forgive me, stay the plague, and all this. So when, and when Arana looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on towards him. So he looks out, okay, here comes the king, here comes his servants. So he goes out, and he says he paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Arana said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the lord, that the plague may be averted from the people. And Arana said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the, wor- for the wood. All this, O king, Arana gives to the king. And Arana said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. See, because, you know, we've talked about this before. The Lord does not accept all offerings. So here he comes. Here comes the king. And he says, I want to buy this threshing floor and this oxen from you. And he says, hey, you can have whatever seems good to you. You just, just go ahead and just take it. Now, I grew up in a culture where you would have thought that, you know, cutting coupons, pinching pennies was part of the Ten Commandments. So, um, man, if that was in David's heart, he'd have been like, yeah, boy, here's a deal. Absolutely. Let's, let's go with this. But let's keep reading because that's not his response. This was not in his heart. Um, he, was, he had a different heart. But the king said to Arana, no. But I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that has cost me nothing. See, there's honor. David was a man of honor. And honor is in him. And he wants this. You know, if he'd have taken up Arana's offer, well, that offering would have been from Arana. That would have been his stuff. He wanted it to be from him, something valuable something weighty and and costly to him. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And here's the Lord's response. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. He insisted on giving something of value. He insisted on being a man of honor. And like we said, you know, when your heart's right, then there's corresponding action. 
Amen? All right, well, let's take a hold of our tithes and our offerings. Let's present that to the Lord. Let's pray over them. Father, we're so grateful to you this morning. We're so grateful that your thoughts are kind towards us and that you are a God of abundance, that you're a God of increase, and that you honor those that honor you. And Father, we have honor in our heart towards you. We want to please you. We want to find a favor in your sight. And I just ask you to bless the tithe, bless the offerings. May it um, do much for your kingdom, that it would affect many lives, and that you would uh, meet all the needs in this house. As you have said that in your word, Lord, that you meet all of our needs according to your riches, not ours, in glory. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. All those that are going to City Gate, just stand up where you're at right now, and we're just going to pray over you. <clears throat> Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning. And that you have given each one of these that are going to City Gate this morning the tongue of a ready writer, that they're ready to speak and declare your truth and, and speak life over the people that they come to, to bring the good news to them. And Father, I ask you for boldness this morning for them. I ask you to stretch forth your hand with signs and wonders and confirm your word as it's preached this morning. I thank you for this. I thank you for divine favor and ability and utterance and discernment in Jesus' name. And amen. Well, those that are going to City Gate Lancaster, you are free to, uh, to go. And then we're going to have a group going to Columbia after the service.